episode 33 with Chris Barakat. In today's episode, Chris and I dive right into a conversation covering topics including identity crisis, parallels within bodybuilding and life, along with how to remain patient and put one foot in front of the other. Chris is a bodybuilder, physique coach, educator, and researcher. Through the chaos, there's clarity. I'm excited for you to meet him. If you love the episode and would like to support the podcast, I would ask for you to please head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review and tell a friend about the podcast. If you're here from Instagram, what's up? Share a screenshot of the podcast on your story if you can, and be sure to tag me at Austin Current. Enjoy the conversation. How's it been, man? How was the how was the holidays for you and all that? It was really good, man. Um, it's quiet down here in Florida for me because all my family's in New York for the most part. Are you originally from New York? Yeah, I'm from Long Island, man. Uh, born and raised there. Okay. And now I live in Florida, and I was, it's nice and quiet during the holidays. I went to New York with my wife for Thanksgiving, but for Christmas we just laid laid low, um, spent some time with my brother and. Everything's well, man. Life is good. How about you? Yeah, good. Can't complain. Yeah, it's it's good out here in Colorado. I mean, the snow is good um, in terms of snowboarding. My wife and I love to snowboard and very cool stuff like that. So yeah, I can't complain. We've just getting dumped on with snow, and it's it's been great. The holidays were good. Um, super busy driving around the Midwest because uh, I'm from Indiana. My wife's from Kentucky, so okay, we go back there and essentially do. We usually drive on average like anywhere from like two to three thousand miles within the Midwest in like two week period. It's just like it it never seems to fail that we're always just like on the road within this like six hour radius um, within the Midwest, like between Indiana, Kentucky, and Tennessee, and just like it just seems like it never ends. You just named three places I've never been. <laughs> <laughs> I would say if you're going to go to the three of them, if I had to choose two, I would tell you to go to Kentucky and Tennessee before you go to Indiana. There's, <laughs> that's, that's coming from Indiana. Like there's really not much going for it. Like Kentucky does get a bad rap. Kentucky gets a bad rap for the sake of, you know, it being Kentucky and, there's quite a few jokes between Kentucky and West Virginia and, you know, the sleeping with your cousin sort of stuff. But in terms of like the landscape, it's a ma- like, it's absolutely beautiful. Like the rolling green Hills, like it's horse country. Like it, it is beautiful. Um, and then you have the whole bourbon culture, which whether you drink bourbon or not, it's a cool culture, at least within Kentucky. So, and then Tennessee's got Nashville and a bunch of other cool places. And so those are much, much better for you. But in terms of like, in terms of school, because you said you had that, the, the big thing was like, hey, let's get this episode recorded before the semester starts. Oh, uh, yeah, for and sure. And so one thing I wanted to ask you is like, how is coaching or balancing coaching with competing with like teaching and research? Is there much balance at all? Or is it kind of just like a craft shoot of let's see what I can get done? Um. It's very difficult to be totally honest. Um, me and my mentor, we use this, we use 
training periodization the same way we use life periodization. So I'm like, the same way, man. Absolutely. Yeah, man. So I just had a, a nice deload from work, from workload, mental stress, uh, a lot of projects from December 23rd was when I submitted my last paper. And then I haven't done any research since. So um, it's been a nice, you know, four weeks off. Um, and the semester starts on Tuesday, the day after MLK day. So I went into the lab yesterday for the first time in like three, four weeks. Um, and we got to get the wheels turning again, but it's, it was a well needed break, man. Like I basically go through periods of overreaching and then completely unplugging from that side. And then it picks up again. But during all of this, I'm always coaching. Yeah. So, right. There's no uh, off switch on that. There's no off switch. No. I mean, the the only nice thing right now is like, there's no shows. So my Saturdays are free and I don't, I really try to unplug on Saturday. Whereas during the season, I'm, you know, on phone calls, video calls and, and kind of texting a client back and forth while they're competing. So um, it is, it is a good phase, you know, from, I guess Thanksgiving until April and May is when I start having people step back on stage and stuff. So yeah, my buddy Matt and I actually had a podcast episode that just uh, released this past week, and we talked about. I kind of brought up this concept of life periodization, or treating, or talking about it in a way where, you know, you're treating just like nutritional periodization or training periodization, and you have to you have to go through this periodization. Um, scheme of sorts and you know whether you know you could really break down the nitty-gritty of periodization and you could there's so many i feel like there's so many references like cross references between and relationships between all of it and how it should all synchronize together uh in an ideal world but i think at least getting away from it is, is super important and understanding that it's okay to deload um no matter what you're in whether that's nutritionally training wise or in life or business like it's very important to deload. Absolutely. Uh, and it's important to, as your shirt says, make it happen. So yeah. <laughs> you got to go through these periods because I think that's one thing. And I want to ask you this too. I want to get back to, to your, some of your research, but um, just like one of the biggest things for me with competing, um, my last show was in 2016. So it's been a bit since I've competed, but I was very, I was very, one after another from 2013 to 2016 during kind of my let's turn pro like quest. Um, and so and how old were you then? Uh, so I started competing when I was 19. Okay. Same. Um, I turned pro when I was 20. Damn. In the, in physique though, like a little easier in the physique world. Um, and then I did a pro show in 2015 and 2016. So I did a pro show as a 21 year old and a 22 year old. And that was kind of like, that was kind of like, okay, I'm going to take a break now. But one thing competing taught me um, within that is like these, because when I think this is common for people, I, I think at least the people, some of the people I've talked to would be, I was competing when I was full time university student, you know, had a job also was working on building the, you know, the, the coaching business while also competing. And I feel like it's just, you go through these, these periods of, you kind of like, I think of it in a way of giving 
kind of that threshold of the stimulus that's needed to adapt in the sense where you have to, if you've never been there before, you, you don't know, quite know how to handle it. So to put yourself in that situation, you know, I, I don't think it's smart to put yourself in a situation where you, you're in a bad way, like in terms of just being chronically stressed and overloaded. But I think knowing that there's a part of you that's like, I know I can get through this, but damn it, this sucks. Like, this is hard. Um, but I think that's super important to go through these periods of time. And I was wondering if you had a same kind of the same cross between going through these like intense, insane periods to achieve something you wanted to achieve and then completely deloading, which I feel like I've been deloading from competing for like three years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. No, a thousand percent um, in life and, and in, in competition. But like with life, when I'm going through those overreaching phases where I'm like, I'm working way too much. I don't have any life balance. And you're no longer enjoying the work as much because the, there's a time pressure there. There's just too much going on at once. Going through phases like that, A, they, they set up some sort of foundation or they plant some sort of seeds that are going to flourish later on and like really have some sort of payoff down the road. And then B, it also, when you, when you increase your stress levels, just like with training, right? Like, if you can lift a hundred pounds, 70 pounds is no longer anything to deal with, but 70 pounds used to be your one RM. So like now, like for example, I, if, if I used to have 20 emails in my inbox, I used to freak out. Right. Now I have like 40. I'm like, Oh, this is a breeze. So like no big deal. You know, like it just, you get, you get accustomed to that workload and that demand. And then you basically have a new baseline of like, this is my norm. This is homeostasis and you can actually deal with it. Well, so something that used to, you know, make me shit a brick just in terms of thinking about what needs to go into getting it done. It's like, oh, I've done that before and I've done that before while doing X, Y, and Z in the background simultaneously. So yeah, let's just get it done. Let's make let's make it happen. Right. Let's make it happen. That's right. Yeah, I like that. It's yeah, and I think it's the perceived part of it too, right? So like we have this, we have perceived stress and which drastically does impact the way that stress does impact us individually but also just in terms of just perceiving that stress and how bad it is and so if you've gone through it before it's the difference between i think you could take two individuals with the same overall like intellect or knowledge on the subject matter but one has 10 years of experience and the other one's brand new you got to go with the experience in that because it's like especially within a, if it's in a time crunch or a high pressure situation on average, I'd say just because like that person has been through this before. Yeah. They understand what's going to happen. And I think that's one of the, the best parts of putting yourself through that. And one thing that I've tried to do over the past couple of years has been to really try and find a balance between, I just have to overload myself to, make it happen versus how can I be comfortable to use kind of a Ryan holiday theme? How could I be comfortable within the stillness and just perform well when there is no high pressure situation, which I think is important too, because I think if you can only perform, I think it's like, I had the same correlation with, I had to kind of break this habit that I had or this, um, 
I guess this trigger, this cue within a habit was I, I would only go train if I felt a certain way. And this was like during prep. This was like when training was my life. And so it would have to be like, I'd have to have so much caffeine. I would have to feel a certain way. I would have to feel, it was almost, I was going off that feeling and I was, I, I could only work. Obviously I couldn't only, but I only wanted to work. I was only motivated to work or, you know, get, get stuff done for school. Like when I felt that certain way. And so if I didn't feel that certain way, I was very unproductive. I couldn't quite get a grasp on what I needed to do. So that's one thing I've also had to, you know, now it's like over time through experience, like I can just, I can wake up, I can be tired, just go to the gym and still perform well or hop on email and still coherently put shit together or write an article or whatever I need to do. Um, but that's something I've had to work through. And I think it's important to, as much as I think it's important to get experience within a high stress time crunch situation and have to adapt and, and rise to the occasion, I think it's also important to kind of pull back and understand that you can also get shit done with a sense of stillness and that the fact that or the art of college itself is you know, like trying to not procrastinate too much. So if you're, you know, going through college, you, I'm sure you can relate to this now. It's like you wait to the point. It's like, I could have did this weeks ago, Yeah, but I'm going to wait. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's trying to piece that together. And so be able to perform in that high stress situation, but also just be able to pull, can I pull back and, and work within the stillness and, and still do what I need to get done? Um, because one thing I found myself doing as well is instead of, because I, there wasn't a huge time crunch, I would kind of dabble each day. And so I'd end up still working five or six days out of the week when I could have worked two or three. Yeah. I still, I still happen to do that from time to time. Yeah. A lot of it comes down to organization, but yeah, man, like, and it's weird too. Like some, sometimes I'll be more productive in a four hour working block than I am in a, in an eight hour day. So it's like, fuck, why can't I just dial in and lock in and, and have those productive, very efficient moments all the time. But I've also started just cutting myself some slack and kind of treat myself like, you know, some days it rains, some days it's sunny, some days it's beautiful out, some days it's not. And, and you know, I always, you know, strive to, to do better and be better, but also like accept what is and kind of like surrender to what is and just be cool with it. Sometimes I put like a completely unnecessary amount of stress to, to do X, Y, and Z when like, if I, if I don't want to do, I literally have no, like, I actually don't have any reason to do it besides me wanting to do it. And I, and I put pressure on myself as if like, I don't know, like the world's going to end if it doesn't get done when it's just not the case. I, that's kind of what I, that, that's that kind of that pressure I'm talking about of like, do we need that? And sometimes we have to put it on ourselves. And I think that's what I did at some point with, with competing was I was like, I wanted a challenge. I need a challenge to feel like I'm moving forward. I'll just compete. I'll keep doing shows. And that's what, that's what challenge was to me because I knew that I could put myself in a situation where I'd have to rise to the occasion. I have to be disciplined. I'm working towards a goal. But now I find myself wanting to do that 
more and more with like intellectual pursuits or, you know, work business related stuff. So I think it's, it's, I've transferred that from, which I think early on the unknown of competing was kind of, I think the unknown excites me a bit. And this is what I'm kind of putting together over the years. And one thing competing was for me early on was like, it was the unknown. I was like, man, like, I don't even know what to expect. Like someone talked, I got talked into competing. I ended up doing really well in my first show. And I was like, well, this is kind of fun. Let's keep, let's see how this goes. And it gave me purpose and it gave me a goal to, to strive for, which at, you know, when you're 19, you need like, and I needed it really bad when I was 19. And then it started to progress more and more. I became more and more familiar with it. I knew what to expect going in. And then all of a sudden it was like, nah, you know, I, I, I haven't, I haven't retired completely, but from the standpoint of like my motivations to get back on stage or compete is, is very low um, at this point. So, but what I'm finding is like, you know, academics for me was a very scary thing early on because I wasn't very good. I wasn't a very good student growing up and I wasn't a good student until I got to university and I was like, Oh, okay, this is kind of fun. Let's see how this goes. And so it's kind of like early success. And that's where I think we can bridge a gap with like clients, for example, early success can breed this motivation to, okay, maybe I have something in this. Um, but yeah, man, I think that's, so I've been searching for that more and more. So it's basically gone from competing so now it's like intellectual pursuits of like the unknown of what that looks like. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know if you've had something similar to that. thousand percent, man. Yeah. And it sounds like our start was super similar where we both competed at literally at 19 and it was something that we needed. Um, and now we're kind of taking what we've learned through bodybuilding and applying it to other aspects of our life. But yeah, it sounds like we're on a quite similar, quite similar journey. It's pretty interesting how that happens, man. I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you, because uh, you, you had that, um, so your recent research that you just finished up was more or less over training to failure. Am I correct in that? Uh, the one that just was published was on training volume. Well, the one that you just finished up in the lab, I, I think well, I was. Oh. Are you just okay. submitted? You may not be able to talk about that one, but. No, no, I can. So the, the, the data I just collected this past semester that you might've seen like snippets of like people going to failure on their last set and stuff like that. The study was actually on the effects of carbohydrate mouth rinsing intra workout and mm, its okay. potential benefits for performance. So it actually, it, it wasn't looking at failure training per se, but the final set of their first exercise, which was squats, they had to go to true failure and then all four sets of leg press were to true concentric failure. And then all four sets of leg extensions were to true concentric failure. So it was an absolutely brutal study. People were vomiting and on the floor. And it was, it was kind of a disaster, to be, quite, <laughs> to be quite honest in some ways. But uh, yeah, so I had uh, eight subjects that completed that study. We had like 14 total, but they just they dropped out like flies. and. Uh, I might, I might have that prelim. So I'm just, 
Oh man, I'm just laughing thinking about some of the things that, <laughs> that took place. But um, yeah, I might have some preliminary data to share at the NSCA conference this year, later this year. But for me to get a full study out of that, I need to get another eight to 10 subjects. So I need to do more data collection this semester to have enough, enough total subjects. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on in the lab. So yeah, we can chat about whatever it may be. Yeah, well, I mean, and we don't have to get too deep into it. I just didn't, I mean, I wanted to ask like some science you've been getting into, science that you're interested in doing, um, and I guess where that interest more or less is, has stemmed from over the years in terms of has it come from bodybuilding or has it come from your work as an academic and your interest outside of bodybuilding itself of just wanting to contribute or kind of where does that come from? Yeah, so it's it's evolved over the years, man. When I was uh, an undergrad student, um, I was studying athletic training, and my goal was to be more of a hands-on clinician as a physical therapist. Um, I just love studying about the human body. I love biomechanics and kinesiology and everything. So I was like, yeah, let me do PT. Um, but during that time, that's when I became more involved with natural bodybuilding, competing, and I started to coach. So... I kind of shifted gears and, and decided to pursue a master's in exercise and nutrition sciences, totally through physical therapy out the window because I was working in clinics since I was 18. Um, and as an ATS, I kind of just got burnt out from like the rehab world and all that. So threw that away, decided to just follow my passion and, and see where this whole coaching thing went. Um, and when I was younger, when I was an undergrad and even when I first started off uh, in university for master's, any study that came out, whatever those authors concluded, I thought it was like, oh, this is, this is fact. Yeah. This is black and white. This is the newest scientific findings. Like it has to be correct. And then I started collecting data and getting involved directly. And I was like, oh, well, that person's responding way different. And that person's responding way different, but they're in the same group and we're just really reporting the group means. So this kind of doesn't really hold that much value to me like it used to. Um, so yeah, something that I used to take as like black and white fact has become like this ugliest shade of gray where there's so many flaws within it. Um, and I learned a lot from data collection and being a part of the process. Um, of my first study I was ever a part of, which was on auto-regulation of exercise selection. Um, it was ran by my buddy, Jacob Rauch. And then I was able to run my own study on varying joint angles and basically exercise selection as well, uh, seeing how that altered muscle activation and training volume and cell swelling and muscle damage and stuff like that. So I love that. Um, and then I got to a phase where I was also kind of just burnt out from research. So it went from like being extremely passionate about it as a student, um, then realizing like what the flaws were and like that what I once thought was true isn't true. And then I had like a burnout phase where I kind of took like six months completely away from the lab. I was just focused on like business and coaching and stuff. Uh, that was post-graduation. I was still teaching at the time as an adjunct, but I wasn't actively involved. Um, and then to be honest with you, um, there was a phase of my life where I kind of, I felt a little bit lost in regards to like, what do I really want to do? Um, long-term, like what makes me happy? 
And I had like a little bit of an identity crisis, you know, I was like, where's this whole social media thing going? Like, do I just want to coach like five days a week and have like a lot of clients where it's like, what I currently handle like two to three days? Do I just want to like double up on that, double down on it and just like really expand there and, and do it all day long? Or do I need to kind of keep myself like keep my feet in different waters and do a little bit of everything to, to a certain extent? Um, but over the, over the time, I basically have like refound like how I identify myself, like my truest self, like what makes me happy and I'm kind of staying in my lane. So I'm really enjoying the research again and getting more involved in that field. And um, I'm very grateful for the opportunities I've had um, over the, over the years and the, the connections I made, the collaboration. So this year is going to be huge, man. There's a lot of studies that are already done and it's just like, we're just waiting for them to be published. Some of them are still being written up. Some of them are under review by the scientific journal. So, I'm really, really pumped. I'm really pumped. I'm really excited. Um, one, I'm really excited for you and, and, and just in general with your research. But two, I, I think it seems like you and I have a lot of parallels in the way where I, I'm similar in terms of my kind of where I've been at over the past, you know, I'll kind of speak on the last couple of years. It's kind of just been, so I went a certain, you know, I went the competing route and then I got into coaching and I'm like, this is it. Then I had things really took off from that perspective. I'm like, all right, this is what I'm gonna do the rest of my life. This is amazing. This is all that I've ever wanted. And then it got closer and closer to, or I basically arrived at that point and it was like, I was scared because it wasn't necessarily what I was searching for, <laughs> you know? And it was like, man, I really thought this was it. Like I thought I was, this was like, the end all be all of my happiness and fulfillment within my work the rest of my life. And so that sense of like identity crisis has been a lot of what I've been going through over the past couple of years and trying to just find my footing, I think. And, and like similar to what you said is who am I really and who, who do I identify with long-term and is it best for me to go all in and coach all day or do I need to, to spread myself out and keep myself busy in, in other areas and contribute in multiple facets in multiple ways to the industry in, in ways that I possibly can? And so that, that's a similar parallel that I have to you in, in the sense of the, just hitting that identity crisis for myself over the past couple of years and, and taking a step back. And that's kind of what... 2019 was for me was I was kind of trying to refigure out all of the social media stuff because I, I had a big growth period like in 2017 and when a lot of other people did and it was kind of I lost myself within that and I was like this isn't what I want to do either like I don't I don't identify with this like I now I feel like there's all these expectations on myself that I need to fulfill but I don't give a shit about one of them. So I'm just like, I don't know where to go with this. And then I kind of recalibrated. I'm like, then I went completely, I ran away from it, like went other end of the spectrum, stopped even posting on social, like was like, I'm going to delete my account. And then I was like, you know, like I snapped out of that. I'm like, that's really irresponsible. Why would I ever do that? Because I could make something positive out of this 
And so like, let's pull back and recalibrate. And so like 2019 for me, parts like 2018, 2019 was kind of a recalibration and a step back of more introspection, more time with myself, less work overall, and trying to really figure out where what's the next five years, 10 years start to look like for me. And what does that take to get there? And, you know, I, you and I kind of briefly talked about it, but just my interest in, in kind of taking academics a step further for myself and um, pursuing that and getting more into writing and trying to express myself in different, in different places and spread myself out a bit more from that perspective, because I, I identify with that in the sense of like, what do I want these next five, 10 plus years to look like? And when I get there, let's say, cause I've been thinking a lot about this. I'm like, all right, let's, let's try and project into the future 10 years. And I see if I kept the same trajectory of where I'm, what I'm on now, there's going to be some cool things pop up. I know that. But all in all, I'm going to be doing the same thing I'm doing now. And I'm like, it's not bad. It's a great life. But is this what I wanted? Is this what I truly want to do by the time I'm, let's say, you know, 36 years old? And it's like, ah, I don't know. I don't, I think I'd regret not trying to do something else. So, yeah, man, I, I relate heavily to you in, in the sense of just that and how I've been taking a step back and trying to refigure out what, what that is for me, because I never really had to, I never really had to figure it out any earlier because I went from university where I, we were building the coaching business to, you know, into competing, which it all made sense. It all connected. It was like, well, I'll just keep doing this. And then it just flowed and it just kept going. And it was like, before I knew it, this was just what I was doing. And I was like, it's not that I don't want to do it, but it's, it's I, I feel like that's meant to happen though. When it's that organic, you know, um, that's another thing. Like when it comes to, okay. So when it comes to like visualizing what I want and like, like truly like having a dream and like going after it, like, I'm good with that stuff. Like I, I really believe that we can manifest what we want. Um, I'm not, I'm not great at all when it comes to business. I'm not like a business guy. Um, so I know a lot of people say like, when you're, when you're going on a business adventure, you need to have a business plan first, <laughs> everything mapped out like X, Y, and Z to the T. And then you, and then you go and you execute, you put the money in it. The plan's already there. You just need to execute the plan. And like, I think for the both of us, our businesses have just been like organically grown based off our interest and our passion and communication with others and wanting to help others. So it, it, sometimes it's, it's easy for me to say like, I want this in my life and I'll, I'm going to make it happen. But it's hard for me to say like this, this next business move needs to look like X, Y, and Z and then like execute on that. So I kind of struggle with stuff like that, but at the end, man, you're going to do great things. And it's awesome that you're self auditing. You already are doing great things. So keep up the great work. And I don't know, let's, let's not be so hard on ourselves. I, I think 
I, I have a sense that we both put that pressure on ourselves. Like we have the, the highest expectations and, and we know what we're capable of. And that's why um, we know how much of an influence we can make and how many people we can help. And like, we genuinely want to do it, but uh, let's not get too concerned with the, the timeline and the rates and just trust that it's going to happen. Cause time is what kills us, man. Like, like I know a lot of us like lack patience to a certain extent. Um, or we just like, feel like if, if we work so hard now in a short period of time, more good things are going to happen in a short period of time, which is kind of true. Like the harder you work, the faster result, the results will come but you're also going to be giving up other things that fill up your cup of, of actual happiness. So um, you can give this your all. And sometimes it's good to overreach and pour your water on one plant, but just know that the other plants in the background that are still important, they're not going to be flourishing. And then if you don't give them any water at all, they will die. And then sometimes when they die, there's no return. So like depends on like what you're, what you're neglecting while you're, giving something else everything so i've been i've been through through bad times dude and uh i'm so grateful for them because i learned more i've learned from my losses more than i would ever learn from a win you know in in life and i'm so grateful for the hard times because it sounds like we both had like a little identity issue and dude it was hard like uh, i would say i was clinically depressed at a point for months on end no motivation to get out of bed this then the third and so grateful for that time man so grateful for it yeah i i had a similar like in 2018 i hit a place where there was one morning and this had never happened to me before there was one morning where i was i was actually paralyzed in bed like i i couldn't form a thought to even get out of bed i was just like this is me this is me now this is where i live now I'm going to take my meals here. I'll take my messages. I'm going to stay in bed. And it was, and I, I try to joke about it now, but it was, it was a very real, it was a scary moment for me. And that's, that's really where an audit started to happen for myself was then in 2018. And it was like, you know what? On paper, this is exactly what I want and what I wanted, but it's just, it clearly it's not working out, you know, I'm in bed, paralyzed in bed, you know, I'm just, I'm crying about weird things. I'm just like breaking, I'm breaking down like this. And this just, you know, I have nothing against men crying. Absolutely not. But it, it, for myself, like I cried happy things like the, uh, like military and I have no military family or no relation to military, but like military, like when, when, dads or family members come home and surprise their kids those videos literally just make me ball like yeah, yeah, yeah. i die every time yeah um or i get overwhelmed with happiness for someone else in the sense of like like watching the olympics or watching someone do something special and knowing how much work went into that like that makes me just break down and i'm just like i'm so happy for that person and so this is like that's my normal like wow, I started to tear up and cry. But now, now I was just paralyzed um, out of like fear and where did, 
why, why am I here? Like, how did I get myself into this situation? And so that's kind of where my, my self auditing came. And I want to go back a little bit to, cause I just like where this is at right now. And in terms of having patience and giving ourselves a little much, little bit of a break in terms of timelines and how this starts to happen. And one, I think a big part of that, that timeline, there's so many great things that social media brings, but I think one of them, and this is a parallel that I've drawn from even competing. And I wanted to ask you the same thing because I competed first and then I got into business, which it sounds like was similar for you. So within competing, a big part of bodybuilding, as much as we don't want it to be, is comparing ourselves to other people and their physiques, right? And so I had established this way of thinking through things and comparing myself to everyone else. And then I got into business, which is a terrible transition because you comparing yourself to everyone else in business is just this is a toxic feedback loop. Like it's just a, it's a negative thing. And I think it's, there's, there can be positives pulled from it and, and how you are maybe because Matt and I last week talked about stealing responsibly from your mentors in terms of every, we're all building upon what the people before us gave us in terms of intellectual property, like their frameworks, their business structures, the, how they handle things, you know, systems in place. Like, we're, we're taking things responsibly from other people and seeing how we work well with it. And then we implement it. If we love it, we'll keep it. If we don't, we throw it away. But I, I feel like for me, getting into competing first and going through that process of always comparing myself almost each day, each workout was just like, how am I looking? How am I faring up? How many weeks out? Like, you know, you're doing that. And then I got into business and it seemed like it, it's since reduced heavily because I'm able to, to think about it more and self audit and kind of check myself like, dude, don't do it. Don't even start doing it. Um, so there's that component of comparing from the social aspect. I brought up social media and I think there's so many positives to pull from it, but there's the negative parts for people in the coaching world and uh, people who run a business is you, it's such an easy way to get trapped into, into this comparison. And I, I think that for me was something that was negative that came out of bodybuilding, that trend, that transitioned right into my business, the way I thought about business at least. And so that, that's, that's one thing. And then the next thing I wanted to bring up was, was the patience aspect of things. And I think there's a component. It's just like I had a, I had a conversation. I talked about this with uh, Ryan Doris on on a podcast episode, and I basically I was talking about we were talking about consuming content, and I was I brought up the there's I, the, the fact that there's a reason like a 300 page book is a 300 page book, and that's how you should digest it. That's how you should consume it. Like you should read the book or at least listen to the audiobook. If it's written in long form, consume it in long form because that's how you're going to get the most out of that piece of content. And so that's where I, f- I find issues with things like Blinkist and the, the, the you know, read a, read a book in 15 minutes, you know, get the fine, you get the, the bullet point v- 
take of this 300 page book in 15 minutes, essentially. And that's how I view the way essentially our careers go is like where what we're needing to do is to read the whole book to, to realize there's 300 pages to this thing. We're, we're writing a chapter currently towards that 300 pages, but we're expecting to have this Blinkist app tell our narrative in 15 minutes when in fact it's going to take, you know, th thousands of pages to, to, to tell this story and to, to work things out and, and to get there. And so patience, like that's helped me with my patience game a bit is realizing that's how I should be thinking about it. For sure. Um, I don't know where I can start, uh, but I guess I'll just go for some, some thoughts. Um, I guess I'll start off with as a competitor, cause you mentioned competing first and then I'll talk about business second, but as a competitor, my first show ever, I was 19 and it was something I was scared shitless about. Um, I almost pulled out three days before because I hopped on Facebook. It wasn't Instagram at the time. And I saw a couple of the competitors that I was competing against because their names came out in the email um, from the promoter. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get crushed. And I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just going to embarrass myself on stage. I was 140 pounds at five, seven. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a pretty muscular physique. So <laughs> right. um, I never thought I was a good bodybuilder. I just wanted a challenge. I wanted to put my time and energy into a process that I, that I thoroughly enjoyed. So going on stage and competing and comparing myself to others, the competing was important to me because I'm a competitive person but I also didn't think I was a good bodybuilder. So I wasn't really comparing myself to others in too much of a competitive way. Kind of, it sounds like I'm contradicting myself, but I hope I'll make sense. So that makes sense to me. I, I had a similar thing with my first show. I'll let you continue. Sorry to interrupt, but I had a similar thing with my first show. Like I remember I had no idea what to expect. And I remember my mom my family's been super supportive through all of, all of my competing and just everything I do. But my mom was, I was sitting next to my mom watching the, cause the pros were on before the amateurs. And she goes, do you have to do one of those little routines? Like you got to pose and all that. And I was like, yeah, I guess. She's like, so do you have something to do? I'm like, no. I, <laughs> she's like, you haven't practiced? I'm like, no. <laughs> and I literally, I just watched the pros before me and then just went up and just did what they did. And it ended up working. Um, but I, I tell that story because it's like, I honestly had no clue what to expect. And so for my first show, I didn't compare myself to anything, let alone prepare myself to even go on stage. So I at least got the tan. That was priority one. Um, but sorry, continue. Yeah, man. So like, you know, I guess taking it even back, taking it back a step, I was always competitive. I loved martial arts as a, as a young teenager. I was like a New York state champion, like Kung Fu tournaments at like 12 or whatever. And then, um, I think I lost interest in martial arts cause I was successful at a, at a young age. So then it kind of got boring and Competing then for me a bit. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, it got boring. And then, um, I fell in love with basketball and took that extremely seriously. We'd play like six to eight hours a day like was my, my entire life slept with my basketball and shit like that. And then, um, after high school, I wasn't good enough to play D one. I probably put it, could have played D three or something like that. But, 
um, it wasn't going anywhere, but I, I needed to exercise. I, I was already resistance training. I was bodybuilding, but I didn't know much at all about the sport. I didn't know that natural bodybuilding was a thing. Um, and I was inspired by physiques like Frank Zane and people in the golden era. And I thought that was, that was cool and it was aesthetic. Um, but I wasn't, I would love to look like them, but I also wasn't expecting to compete at a high level. I just needed something to challenge myself to, you know, give myself purpose every day, a way to get better. So, um, my first time competing didn't have really any expectations. I was scared shitless that I was going to get embarrassed, not, not lose. Like if I took second place, I would have been totally fine with that or third place. I would have been fine as long as I like legit wasn't embarrassed. Long story short, I ended up winning the teen class and the, uh, the novice Bantam and that success made it more exciting. It gave me more confidence that, Hey, I can do this. Um, I've only been doing this for like a year seriously. And you know, if I continue to just give it my all, I can do well. You know, the thing, thing I hated about basketball was you have teammates and I, I was a great communicator and it taught me communication skills, but I was frustrated as, as hell that I was playing six hours a day and my teammates wouldn't even play year round. And then they would play when the season came and it was just, it wasn't cool. Like that wasn't cool to me. Like I want the same way, like if you have employees working with you or if you have a team, like you want your team to be all in and like at the high school level, it's not going to be like that unless you're like a very legit school team. Right. So um, that frustrated me. And that's what I loved about bodybuilding was like, if I give this my all things are going to go well, like at least, at least the control is in my hands. Like if I don't do well, that's fine. If I give it my all, that's all that really matters. So uh, I fell in love with bodybuilding because of that. And then um, this is kind of hopping to the business thing. I started coaching before social media was effective or before it even mattered at all. Right. Like my first client ever was in 2012, just a friend. Then like I opened the business in 2015, like officially. Um, and I knew that I would be successful just through word of mouth. So at that time, all of my clients were in Long Island and in New York and in the Northeast area and social media wasn't a thing. And I had no doubt in my mind that I would be successful without social media because um, it didn't exist then. And I just knew like word of mouth, like treat, treat your client well, get them results. They're going to tell their family and friends. So without social media, I was always cool with it. So when this whole social media thing came about, I think me kind of taking a step back and remembering like my, my confidence and my starting point, I was like, this shit doesn't even matter. Like it's a great tool to help things, but it's not necessary. So I'm not going to like get lost in it, even though I did for a short, a short time period. I think, yeah, I think we all do, but yeah. Yeah. But, um, I could, you know, I could really care less about it. It's, it's great. I'm, I'm grateful that I can connect with more people and have clients that are international and around the globe, which is super cool. Um, but if it wasn't there, like, I'm sure you'd be killing it in Colorado and I'd be killing it here in Tampa. And like, that's it. We would just kill it locally. So yeah, there's you know, a component of that. I, I, there's a component of that that I, I miss because I started out in person training when I was, I want to say 18, 19. 
when I started competing, I was in person training then. And then I started, I transitioned from there. And then in 2014 is when we kind of started everything coaching wise. And there's a component that I, I dearly miss of wondering, like having more of a, a local poll and a local community of clients. There's a component of that that I think I'll, I'll try and fill that gap at some point in my life with some endeavor that I do. Um, that'll come later, but that I, that's something that I, I do kind of long for in, in many ways. And I think that that's, that's, I've gained more clarity over that since I've thought more about kind of what gives me purpose. And I think for many in this, you know, anyone listening, like have big dreams in terms of your purpose. And if you need to, you know, if your goal is to, to strive for like, I want to help a million people or whatever, go for it. Myself, I don't identify as much with that as, as much as I do. How am I impacting those around me in my immediate everyday life? And so that's my family, my loved ones, the few friends I do have. <laughs> and that from the sense of like, I don't talk much to begin with. So to, to have a lot of friends is, it doesn't correlate. Um, and so having that immediate impact on those immediately around me, I, I draw a lot more purpose from that than I do. I want to help a million people, two million, sure. like whatever it is. I don't really identify with that too much. Um, yeah. And, and so I've found a lot more purpose within and I think that I've, I've talked about this on a, on a solo episode of those listening of remember that it was talking about trying to search outside yourself for purpose. And I think whether you, you know, whatever your religious beliefs or beliefs in, in a higher power of whatever, you know, you believe in, there's a sense of trying to seek purpose within gives you that control you understand what you need to do every day to feel purpose and fulfilled and utilized and all these things that I think give us purpose. We, we can, regardless again of your religious beliefs, you can at least, and I think religion has a great way of modeling people's behavior and living a good life and going about a, a life in a certain way. But I think to, to draw purpose or to try to find purpose, and if you're, if you're struggling with purpose, this has helped me out a ton, is, again, searching more within and how do you bring change and effect to those immediately around you? And that's helped me a ton over the past, I'll say, year or so, is trying to transition that always searching for purpose elsewhere to bringing it back. And I wanted to ask, and this brings up another question I wanted to ask you was a realization, one of your biggest realizations over the last 12 months that you've had, you know, just sitting there thinking, and I'll share mine first and kind of give you some time to ruminate on that. But my biggest realization over the past 12 months was similar to what I was just saying in the sense of in the sense of purpose, but what bring that, what brought that about was my biggest realization 
was to ask myself more questions because I have more answers than I think I do. And that goes for everyone. I think we should spend more time with ourselves because, or if you have a conflict or an issue, I think you should spend time with yourself first before you put it out into the world. Um, one that gives you kind of a filtering system of, is this just nonsense or is it legitimate? Should I actually go out into the world with this? But the sense of spending more time with yourself, asking yourself more questions because you, you have more answers than, than you think you do. Um, so that was my biggest realization. But I, I was wondering what, what you've kind of realized over this impactful 12 months that you've had over the last year. Yeah, it would be really hard for me to put my finger on one thing. Um, you briefly brought up like religion and stuff like that and spirituality. Um, I have more faith than ever now than I have in the past. Um, it's, I don't know. It's, 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 it's tough. Hard yeah. I just didn't know if you had a, had something that, you know, you've, you've been thinking about over the last 12 months or so, but it's hard for me to put into words, man. You know, that's understandable. Yeah. That's a, and I've spent the last, and if you would asked me, if I would ask myself that question, even six months ago, it would have been really hard for me to, to do it. And there's, I have a period each day, whether it's 10 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever it is that I just sit and I just, or I'll go on a walk and I, I'll turn on some classical music and I literally just, just think, and I just think about these different questions or I'll go in with like a prompt or sometimes I just go, I just sit and I'm just like, well, here we go. And it's like, that's my, cause I'm a, I would call myself a fair weather meditator. I, I meditate when I need to, I journal when I need to, but um, I think what helps fill the gaps for myself is these little moments each day that I'm, I'm meditating in a way, you know, I'm just not, it's not guided meditation, but it's meditation in the sense of sitting there and trying to be present within what's in my head right now. What can I work through? Is it, is it to a place where I need to write it down and doing that over the past 12 months for myself has I think put a lot of things connected a lot of things for me and made more sense of what's kind of been going on um, within that like self-identity crisis you know I had and wondering what I wanted to do and I think one of the one of the scariest things for me kind of going back to that was knowing that I'm a complacent person and like naturally just can be very complacent. Like growing up, I would do what I needed to do from, I was athletic. I was good at sports. I excelled there, but I did what I needed to do. And I was complacent in every other situation. Like I would play video games up until the point where we had to leave for me to get to practice on time. And I'd show up, do, I worked very hard at practice. I may stay just a bit after to get in some shots or something. And then, all right, well, that's that. Let me retire for the evening. Um, and I did, you know, I don't want to discredit too much because I did put in a lot of work from that perspective, but I was very complacent and it shined through mainly through academics, less in sports. I was willing to put the work in there, but mainly academics. And that's that's where like not being a good student growing up came into place because I was very, very complacent. 
And that all changed for me a bit when I got to university and realized these other things were possible through intellectual endeavors or academics in, in and of itself and doors that, that could open up and new challenges that were surfacing for myself. But one thing that I, I think really stemmed the self-identity crisis for myself over the past couple of years was get, being scared of being complacent or putting myself in a position where I could be complacent. And I think that's where becoming comfortable and no longer working off of that stress-ridden, anxious-ridden grind of, I got to make this work. When I got to the point where, dude, chill, this is working. You're doing, you're doing well for yourself. Like this is going well. Yeah. And once that happened, I realized once that happened, I got complacent and I allowed things just to be, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing all the time, but for myself, I know we know ourselves better than anyone ever could. And I know myself and I know if I put myself in a situation where I can be complacent, I'm naturally going to choose that path. And so that's kind of where also that self-auditing came into place or came into play was how do I put myself productively in a situation that aligns with my passions, aligns with my skill set, but doesn't allow me to be complacent? And that's kind of where I re I started to think about more sc like school again. I started to think about what did I want before coaching started to work? Because school was always my route before coaching started to work because I never expected it to work, to be honest with you. And then it started to work and it was like, oh, okay, this is working. And so I got away from the original path. And now it's like, I saw myself, let's say nothing changes from, you know, I'm, I'm 26. If I keep on this path, again, like it, could, it, it would be great. I think there'd be other great opportunities that come up, but is this a path that allows me to be complacent? And will I be happy with that complacency 10 years down the road? And this goes back to what we were talking about kind of towards the beginning was where do I see myself in that 10 year, five, 10 year period? And it's not that I have a five to 10 year plan as much as I just, I know how I want to feel and I know how I want to feel about what I'm doing in five to 10 years. So I don't necessarily know what it's going to be, but I at least can, again, you're thinking about manifesting these things. And so I'm not, I think I'm in a place right now where I'm, I'm trying to manifest a feeling or I'm, I'm trying to manifest what I'm going to be, how I'm going to be doing something. I don't know exactly what it's going to be specifically, but trying to manifest that with over the next, you know, five to 10 years. So yeah, that, that I was just, that was me. That's the first time I've thought through that like that. Um, which is a fun thing on these podcasts. Cause yeah. that's, that's a big selfish thing for me. Cause someone asked me yesterday, why do you do the podcast? And I was like, honestly, it's a, it's a big selfish thing. Yeah. One to talk to people, but two, it's just like the things that come out. This has been, um, a very different podcast because I didn't know, like I, I saw the recording thing in the top left corner from the beginning, but yeah. I didn't know when the recording started. Always. Or I just, we just start if we, yeah, yeah. if it so. starts with something that you don't want, I'll, we'll cut it out. 
Oh no, it doesn't matter. I just but we just start from the get go. We're just having a conversation. Yeah, so that's what it's, it's all about. It's it, cool, man. It's really cool. The the theme of the the podcast really is just us sitting here with some coffee and like having a coffee shop style conversation. Like if you and I sat down, you know, I hit you up via DM. I'm in Tampa. Yeah, we're grabbing a cup of coffee. What do we talk about? Yeah, that's awesome. And that's like that's what this that's it. what the podcast. So, um that's kind of where the themes come from. But so I, let's, let's, is there something, so, you know, we, we brought up realizations and, and my realization was, you know, to ask yourself more questions because you have more answers than you think you do. Let me ask, is there something within the industry specifically that you think you've definitely changed your mind on over the last year or two? Mm. Um, is there something in the industry that I've changed my mind on? Or just you and your coaching practice or you within yourself, the way you go about your daily actions. Sure. Things like that. Um, the, the more exposure I've seen of the industry, not of myself being involved in the industry, but the more I've traveled and gotten to see things within the industry the more I could just care less about the industry. (laughs) We're in the similar place. (laughs) Yeah. Like I, whatever. I think it's always going to be, um, more bad than good, so to speak. Um, and I'm, I'm not someone who's going to try to like change the industry. You know, I'm going to do, I'm going to stay on my path, do my thing, help the people I can help influence people who want to get a piece of education or information from me or, or, you know, people that just vibe with me. Cool. I'm cool with it. But the industry as a whole, I kind of care less about. Um, but I did want to go back real quick because you're talking about realization. Um, a few things I wanted to mention. So training is super meditative to me uh, when the phone is away and I'm not creating content. Right. So I've gotten back to that, which fuck. Love it. Fuck Same. It. I, the last three weeks I've I've been on it the last three weeks and it's felt fantastic. <laughs> Therapy in there, man. Fucking going at it. And then one thing that you mentioned about having like local clients. Um I I do want to have some sort of like in person stuff down the road just to connect with people more. But um something I dislike is when you go to the same gym facility for such a long time and you start to know everyone in the gym. So now you're getting distracted in the gym all the time. So it's like, I love my gym and I just, I just hate getting interrupted during a training session. Um, but anyway, going back to the realization stuff just recently, um, about three weeks ago for the first time ever, I did a flotation tank. The, um, the, uh, what is it? Self deprivation, self deprivation, they call it. Yeah, I think so. You're just depriving yourself of sensory. Yeah, man, sensory deprivation. There it is. What an experience! Have you ever done it? I've heard. I've heard. I've heard people have done it. I have not done it. I need to do it. I think it would be great for my introspection. You need need to do it. It was okay. It was the most intense one-on-one conversation that you have with your mind. Okay. So it's, dude, it was intense, man. It was, 
it was intense. There was, there was moments where, you know, it's just, I did 60 minutes and there's, there was moments probably around the halfway mark. I was like, I think I'm, I think I want to be done with this. I was yeah. getting uncomfortable, right? Cause it's, you really do lose total sense of your body and it's so quiet and you can turn the light off and it's pitch dark and it just, it's just you and your mind and nothing else, but it gives you the opportunity to not identify with your mind and realize that that voice in your head isn't necessarily you. Yeah. You know, Oh my God, it's an experience, man. I, I highly recommend it. Um, I also think people that are in a bad place that are mentally unstable or I think if I went in there when I was like legitimately in a, in a bad dark spot might've been bad. Yeah. It might've been ugly. It might've like led to like bad action, you know? So I would be, I, I wouldn't recommend it to everybody by any means, but if you're in a good spot, I think it's a really cool tool um, to really have a deeper conversation with your mind. Um, kind of dissociate your, your truest self mind and then try to gain control of your mind and say, I'm noticing I'm having a lot of these thoughts constantly over and over. And I kind of want to shift it to more of these thoughts that are more positive and that it will have better return and make me feel better. So I think it's a really good tool. Um, there's something else I wanted to mention, but there's like, lawnmowers and stuff in the background that are distracting me um sorry man no no totally, you're good man totally this... lost train of thought, but yeah highly recommend highly recommend the sensory deprivation flow tanks um there's something else i want to say but it's... it'll come up it'll come up no worries at all i i've always i've wanted to do it um i've had a few people tell me about it recently and i, I think you're i mean you're exactly right you're spot on with that analysis of you realize that that voice in your head isn't you. There's moments of, again, I'm, so I'm reading Stillness is the Key, Ryan Holiday's newest book. I've listened to it all the way through, but I'm, I'm reading it uh, on my Kindle because I like I, I, books that I really like and I want to be consumed by. I'll listen and read them because I like listening through it once because as I'm reading through it, I'm, Again, like the more you're exposed to things, the more you start to piece together and connect things. And like you could hear the same. There's a reason I can like I surround myself and consume, you know, like yourself, so much content or material that I've been exposed to before, or by different people. So I'll seek out. Okay, I've heard this person talk about this. Now I want to hear this person talk about it. Similar to like you and I, you know, if we sat down or got went to the gym and started talking like mechanics and, and, and muscles and like how interesting it would be and how we would have similarities, but we'd also have things that differ, but to the same degree, you'd be learning, I would be learning and we'd be growing because of it, or we'd be hearing something in a new light, or I've not heard it. You know, I haven't heard that someone make that connection before. You know, so you're starting to hear things in a different light. And so that's one reason I like to, to listen and read the same book. But one thing, um, again, you're kind of talking about this, the stillness of mind of realizing that that chatter isn't necessarily you. And 
that's like one of the biggest things that once you realize that and you can separate yourself from that chatter, that's where I think meditation comes in handy. That's where journaling comes in handy. Any type of introspection of thought that you can do helps. And I, I think one, one, one reason I like journaling a lot is you're able to kind of acid test the voice in your head. So, you know, whatever's happening in your mind, write it, like get it down on paper. And then a day later you go and reread that and you're like, this is nonsense. None of this makes sense. You know, whether it's self-doubt or being trapped in comparison or you're agitated with, with someone or, or something that's happening. And once you get it out and you get it on that first layer of filtering, you know, through that first layer of filtering, it's, it, you at least gain more clarity of at least being able to pull, okay, this I still need to revisit, but most of this is just nonsense. Why am I worrying about this? And so that's a, that's a, I think you hit it spot on with understanding that that chatter and voice in your head is, is not you. It's, it's this, it's this buzz and chatter of the world of everything you're consuming. And another thing that I mentioned on a podcast previously was within the mini series that I mentioned purpose, but it was understanding Oh, shit, I lost my thought now too. Huh. What was I going to say there? There's a few things I can, I can say if you want to think about what you were Yeah, yeah, say it, say it. Because I, I had something there. I was like, ah, oh, this, is, this is good. I'm going to draw back from previous episodes. So you go ahead and I'll, I'll come back with mine. Okay. So there's a few things I want to say. Um, there are some activities that help you unplug and just quiet your mind. But it's much different than actively actively investigating your mind and, and, and checking yourself. Right. So, um, I can go to the gym and unplug. Okay. I can get in tune with my body, but I'm not necessarily in tune with my thoughts. It just, those thoughts stop. And it's nice to have a period of time, whether it's 60 minutes, 90 minutes in the gym where all that chatter is just, it's gone, right? You're not really worrying about X, Y, and Z, this, that, and third, you're just, unplugged. And I think that's why it's such a de-stress. It helps you de-stress. Um, I can go shoot a basketball when I was younger. I would just shoot for hours and probably not think about a fucking thing. And that's why, that's probably why it felt good, right? It was an escape of some sort of that mind chatter. Um, and then like even yesterday, I try to do yoga once a week. So yesterday I did yoga. That's a bit different where it's kind of connecting mind and body. Um, and then during certain phases, especially at the end, you can kind of assess your entire body, how everything is feeling after the practice. And then you can go into your minds because you are in a more peaceful state and then have that conversation with your mind. The thing that the float tank did for me, this, the sensory deprivation did for me, um, I feel like it helps you get there really fast. And it's, it's um, a much more intense level. Whereas if you meditate, you meditate and you, a distraction comes up and then you kind of get back into peace. Another distraction comes up, you get back into peace. But in there, it was just like, 
deep and intense, you know? So it's, it's cool. Um, but yeah, there's, there's different things that are needed. Sometimes you need to, to do things to quiet the chatter and shut it off and, and not internally reflect on what's going on in here. You just want to calm it down, not think about it, not pay attention to noise, not have that noise there. And then there's times where you're, where if you're trying to, to gain a deeper sense of who you are and a better understanding of who you are. And if you want to start, you know, planning things that you want to achieve, you need to have a conversation. So it's different, right? So you need a different activity, different, different kind of time to yourself, whether it's meditative or sometimes it can be like taking a walk. It doesn't have to be sitting in the chair. Um, but at the same time, it can't be lifting weights or shooting the basketball, but they, it's like they serve your mental health in, in different ways. Yeah. It's filling the cup out with different, different things. Absolutely. Yeah. I was trying to remember, I, I, I can't remember what I was going to say, but one thing that was super interesting that I did read in the book, um, he was talking about true stillness, true silence and sensory deprivation. And he was referencing someone who had gone into like, uh, a, like a true soundproof chamber, like where sound just doesn't exist essentially. And he spent, let's say an hour in there and he came out and he heard these two sounds. He heard these, he, these buzzing, these frequencies. And he asked the, the lab, uh, the lab technician who was there was, you know, what did I hear? Or the, the engineer that was there. And he's like, what did I hear? He's like, you were hearing your nervous system you were hearing your, your heart, you were hearing your body's frequency of just that low level frequency. You're hearing the inner workings of your, yourself because it was so quiet in there. He's like, how am I still hearing this? And it's like that internal frequency, those internal chatters, those internal workings are, are always happening. They're always, they're always continuous and they're always switched on. But that was super interesting to me, just kind of like, man, but to experience that true silence, that true stillness of, of mind was, would be interesting. And I, so I want to do the, the sensory deprivation tank for sure, man, because I've heard a couple of people, a couple of my buddies who I grab coffee with talk about it. And it's like, you've got to do it. You've got to get in there. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I got to get in there. Yeah. And what you just said reminded me of a realization I had when I stepped out of there was... Now, this is going to sound like super hippie, like super Go for it, man. I'd go for it. I'm all about it. I think that's a part of what we, I think that's, sorry, before you say it, I don't want to let you lose your thought, but to preface, like, I think it's something that I would love to be more of like, this is stuff we talk about because I think it's, you know, if you hear like Joe Rogan, it's like, oh, this is super woo woo, but, and it's like, I don't need a preface. Like, let's talk about the hippie. Let's talk about the energy. Let's talk about whatever you yeah. want. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I wish more people were open to talk about it. Um, a lot of it's personal, but I think it's also some of the most powerful stuff. So when I was in there, um, I really had just this deep feeling and belief and, and almost like I want to call it like a no, like a realization that um, m like my soul and our souls are timeless. and like. I just happen to be experiencing time in, in this current human body, like in this meat suit. Um, 
but I also just had this realization, like there is no start and there is no end. And like time is just basically a made up concept. So society can function normally, but it's, I, I really had this, this realization where it's like when my physical body dies, like my truest self that, that was listening to my thoughts and that was able to step away. Like I knew that I wasn't going to die. Like my body will die. My flesh will go, but like this energy is forever. Like I had that, that deep, no, just that realization. And then when I stepped out of the tank, it felt weird to like feel my body again, but I was also like super grateful for it. I was like, I was grateful for hearing um, and for, for sight too. Cause it was just pitch dark yeah. for 60 minutes while still being awake, like while being fully present, you know, like fully, fully, fully present. So I was just like grateful for vision and hearing. And like, I was grateful for this body and, and like the ability to experience life in this, from this perspective. But I, also just felt like when when this ends here it doesn't actually end and it was a nice it was a it was an interesting interesting feeling how long did that last for you i think that's one of the biggest things that i pull from i would say buddhist thinking um would be to not attach yourself to a feeling of any kind. So happiness exists, but it's not ongoing. Sadness exists, but it's not ongoing. Frustration exists, but it's not ongoing. So all these things that are happening, it's not something I think where we where we get upset is is the expectation of it continuing. So let's say we have so to put this kind of relate back to, to those listening, it's like you, you had this, this moment, you know, you had that moment that you had, you had that serenity, that, that's that, that stillness and calmness and the realization of that. But then if you had an expectation for that to continue, then it may be frustrating that it doesn't. And so when people experience happiness or excitement or, calm it's frustration typically comes within the expectation that it's going to continue or persist and if you're able to detach yourself from the expectation that it's going to and you're just allowing what is to happen then it's a little bit more easy it's easier for me and that's this has been something that i i take things pretty a la carte the way that i kind of just pull and i'm a cherry picker of things that help me within a sense of a greater being and greater purpose and a greater, a greater wisdom. So I typically do pull it a little bit, use it a little bit more a la carte or as needed or as it helps me get through things. And, but that's been something that I definitely have pulled from a Buddhist way of thinking of, or I guess roots within Buddhism of just being okay with what is and releasing yourself from that expectation of if it doesn't persist, that's, that's bad. So I guess I wanted to ask like, how long did that feeling last for you? 
Yeah. Um, that feeling was deep for a relatively short period of time. So once you got out of the tank in the shower real quick, and it was cool to have like a very chill room where it was still extremely dark and had like a nice warm cup of tea and it was still very quiet, but then the place is on the main road and like they have, like they have that chill room because they want you to like chill and like soak in that stillness and stay in that, that state for a bit longer before just kind of going back into society. Um, but even like that car ride home, you know, it was like just my wife and I, like we both did it and like we were both kind of sharing our experience and it was like, it was like rainy out, but it was like, it was like nice. It was like, Oh, the earth needs the rain. And like, it was just like, even though it was like gloomy, it was like a nice gloom. And it was just like, just like accepting it for what it was. And I think what's cool about that is like, even though it doesn't last super long, you can, you had that experience and you've acquired something from it that you can draw back to and that you can remember. So like, I feel like I had like a lesson and I like something was taught to me through that experience. And there's been many other experiences which have been way like even more powerful and like more spiritual and stuff like that. But um, it's nice to draw back to it. That stuff doesn't last. And I don't want to get it too off too far off on a tangent, but what you mentioned is like people have these expectations. That's like something like that is going to last. When you said that it made me think of people reusing the drug with an expectation that a, they're going to get that same euphoria the first time they did it, or they're utilizing a drug with an expectation to experience what that person experienced when taking the drug. And it's like, super I, I think that completely inhibits and defeats the the purpose and, and the ability for things to actually work out um yeah so i don't know because i've had i've had um experiences that did not make sense but at the same time i had zero expectations so like I've had experiences that you're only supposed to experience under the influence and I wasn't under the influence. Right. So it's just, it's weird. You know, I think the influence helps put some people in a situation that few are able to do soberly. So like someone that I would say is a, a frequent drug user to achieve a certain euphoria or feeling or stillness in their mind is not someone who is going to spend the money on a self deprivation float tank, you know? So they're searching for, that's just one example. Like there's many ways to achieve this stillness of mind or, or calm. But I think for some, or at least the, the ones that I, Again, so there's some assumptions happening, but in terms of what people are searching for and the medium they're using to get there or the catalyst they're using to get there is just different and unfortunately harmful. <laughs> so, you know, there are different ways. So if you're searching for this stillness of mind or this calm, like understand that, you know, heroin may not be the answer. It could be... <laughs> You know, it could be a float tank or it could be, you know, and 
I don't think anyone that's listening to the podcast is a heroin user, but um, just if you are, just know that you could do a float tank and, and yeah. try and feel the same level of serenity and calmness within the mind. But I think that's super interesting, man. And I, I appreciate you opening up and sharing that. I, I do. And I know it's, again, that's a big part of like, I try to just facilitate the conversation to go wherever it's going to go. Um, and so I appreciate any, you know, I appreciate you opening up and I appreciate you sharing personal things and because I think it's super important to hear. And the main demographic of the listeners is coaches and are people wanting to become a coaches or who are interested in it. And it's, I think, refreshing for people to hear people they look up to and hear people that they strive to become or emulate or steal from responsibly, quote unquote. It's, it's refreshing to hear them talk about things outside of fitness, outside of what makes up their every single day and things they don't normally share with, with people or, you know, without needing to, or feeling like they're in a place where they're going to be judged by that. Yeah. So I appreciate you sharing that. No, I, I appreciate the, the chat, man. Um, one thing I wanted to say is I think there's something extremely powerful in surrendering and totally letting go. Um, when I had, and I'll tie it into competing and bodybuilding, but when I had the most influential experience of my life, um, I was able to have that experience because I completely surrendered to what was going on. And, and it kind of allowed me to like break through at that time. Um, and I think a lot of people have a hard time surrendering. And then tying it into bodybuilding, I I uh, I kind of tie this in because there's a there's a point when you're getting stage lean um, where I think you just need to surrender and you're not worried about how many carbs you're eating per day and what you're like you don't you no longer care about the externals how much food is going in how much work is being put in you don't care you just you know that this is what needs to get done to reach that place to, to, to reach your full potential. And when you surrender, good shit happens. And like, I see that with my clients and, you know, I have convert, I, I, there's, there's some conversations I have with a client that's contest prepping. And after the, after the call, I'm just like, I know it, they're good. Like mm -hmm. they're, they're going to achieve their best self. Like, like they, they have surrendered and like they've let go of, of all these expectations of like, how much cardio do I need to do? You right. Know, what's too much? How much food can I diet on? Like how high can I keep my food while dieting? Um, what does my train, like once all that shit, once they just no longer give a shit about all the variables that everyone else is spending hours and hours talking about, once they no longer give a fuck about it, great shit happens great shit happens. Um, so fuck, there's something about just surrendering and just being like, I'm going to do whatever I need to do. And then it's also surrendering to like a higher power. And it's like, I am going to do the right thing, even when it's not the easy thing. Um, 
and I think we all know, like, so when we have that, man, I think this is about to get good. <laughs> so when we have that mind chatter, um, it's kind of like you have a, a devil on one shoulder, like tapping you saying like, let's do X, Y, and Z. And you know, it's wrong. And then you have like the other chatter saying like, no, you really should be doing this. Like it, it could be as simple as like a distraction, right? Like it could literally be as simple as like you have 15 emails in your inbox and like, you know, you need to, to get it done. But like, in, in this case, we'll just use the, the bad situation. Like, oh, I have like these distractions or I'll rather watch this or I'll rather like waste my time doing this. But you know that you should do that, right? Like, you know, you should just get the shit done. Um, it can be as, as small of a decision as that, or it can be as massive of a, of a decision as like, like stealing from someone or like, uh, like sinning, like doing something sinful. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even want to go down there, but like, we, I think we all have that chatter. Um, like in a prayer, like you say, like, um, deliver us from evil. Like we, like you want to avoid evil, but temptation and evil exist, And that's always going to be there. But like, we know what's right and we know what's wrong. So if you just do what's right, even when it's fucking hard, good things will happen. Yeah. I think the thing I pull from that, um, it well, there's many things to pull from that, but the one thing that kept coming to mind was the, the sense of vulnerability. And I, I talk about vulnerability a bit on my social media, but it's, it's this, the vulnerability to the process of whatever you're trying to achieve. And that's similar to what you're, you know, drawing a parallel to exactly what you're saying is surrendering to that process and have creating, having vulnerability to the process and vulnerability to, and, and the definition I'm kind of giving it from is to give without any expectation of return. And that's essentially what I, you know, what I'm taking from kind of the surrendering to the process of things. And so when you throw out any expectation of who you're impressing, what's, what's going to come of it, you know, what, what's X, Y, and Z. Once you become vulnerable and surrender to that process. And I think that's where the, the power of, you know, process versus outcome thinking can really come into play. But once you surrender and become vulnerable, that vulnerable to that process to give everything without any expectation of return, that's when great things start to happen. You start to realize whether that's fulfilling your potential or realizing potential you do have. And that's something that definitely has happened throughout my career so far has been being able to, where there's times where I'm just, and I think this has happened more frequently recently than it did in the past, but just being vulnerable to that process. And I, I would definitely say that when I was competing regularly, it was something that definitely happened because you just, there's a point where your state, like you become stage lean and you, you can't give a shit anymore. Yeah. You have zero fucks to give. You don't have the energy to give a fuck about anything. Like you just have to get up and there's things that, you know, you think you just, you think back to those, those times where you're just like, you had, you had a five thirty alarm that led you straight into maybe it was cardio. Maybe it was study. Maybe it was, you had to be at work at a certain time. 
And then after that shift ended, you were here. After that ended, you were here. And by the time you know it, it's 9.30, 10 p.m. And you're finally getting just to sit down and just be like, ah, tomorrow's, the, tomorrow's all of this over again. Am I ready for this? And there's a point where I know that I hit that I, I just stopped considering tomorrow. I just stopped considering, am I ready for this? Am I, am I okay with this? Like, and it's the, the vulnerability you have to that, that process. You're just open to it. Like, this is just, this is, uh, I forget, I think Jim Jeffries is the comedian, but he has a stand-up called This Is Me Now. It's a funny, it's a funny bit that he does, uh, that, that the punchline is This Is Me Now. But it, it, you just, you reach a point where this is me now. Like, this is what I'm doing in this moment to achieve this goal. I'm surrendering. I'm becoming vulnerable to the process and I'm giving everything without any expectation of return. And I think that's powerful, whether it's in competing, I think that's powerful within its within relationships, especially within relationships between loved ones, between friends. I, I think that's super powerful. And I think within the business world and creating something successful that people are attracted to, I think there's parallels to be drawn between vulnerability to the process within all of those facets, with, with, with all, all of those subjects. So that's what came to mind after you broke that down for sure. Cool, man. Yeah. Well, I think this has been great. Yes. Um, you know, I, I never know where these conversations are going to go, which is exciting for me. Again, I, I'm, I'm going back to, to saying like, I find excitement and I find interest in the unknown. And that's a part of these conversations is I'll make a few notes just like, obviously I don't want this to be a complete shit show of like not knowing what to talk about, but I, that's a part too of getting or having guests on or asking people that I'm truly intrigued to talk to, which I think has been very powerful and it's been very impactful and it's allowed me to really enjoy the process of, of doing the podcast Yeah, and hopping on and cause like I, I, this podcast has many, many meanings, but the, the, the main gist of it is to have good conversations with good people. And my goal is never to have the biggest variety or the, the biggest industry names or whatever it was. It's just about, am I going to have a good conversation with this person? And I, if, I, if I think I can have a good conversation and I can, we can t- sit down and talk about something meaningful for an hour and then people can at least be a fly on the wall within that conversation, then maybe that will have that ripple effect that is so impactful. So No, man, you're... Uh- you're motivating me to do one of my own. Like I planned on doing one for 2020 and it is going to be totally different than like the majority of the fitness industry where I'm not going to have on a guest that always talks about topic Y and ask him about topic Y. And I genuinely want to do it for semi-selfish reasons where it's like, I'm interested in this person. I know they have a lot to offer I want to have a good conversation with them and then just share it with the world so everyone can benefit from it. So sounds like we're on the same page, man. I, I, I think really, we're on the same page with a lot of different things. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm excited. And I, I want to, I'm excited to keep the, the relationship going and the conversation going. And I, Likewise, man. And another thing too is 
like I know you and I at some point or another are gonna do something or be in the same conversation with whether it's biomechanics or just execution or something. And we can always, always, always talk about that. Yeah. There's very few times that we're going to sit down, have an hour to genuinely chat about what we just talked about. And so that to me is very special. And that to me, again, is the motivation behind, I, I, one of my biggest motivations for not starting a podcast about training or whatever was there's so many other good ones out there. Like I honestly, and going back to purpose, like I don't derive purpose from necessarily like a super massive goal. Like I derive purpose from being a good person and impacting those directly around me. And then hopefully that has a ripple effect on those around them. And it does create a greater good, but like, I can't, I can't really think about the bigger picture because then I lose sight of those right in front of me. And I don't think that's worthy either. And so, and then there's just, again, I don't, I'm like you in the sense of like, I don't, I'm not going to change the industry. Like I, I, I don't have that belief that I could even do that. And I don't think there's a chance that even one person could ever do that because there's very polarizing people in the industry currently and they can't even do it by themselves and they are loud. And not to say like, we can't have a huge impact, but right. like, yeah, like we're, we're going to crush, we're going to crush it the way we're supposed to crush it. But like, I'm not going to get distracted by everything else at the same time. And it is what it is, man. But let's not worry about the industry as a whole, right? Exactly. And that's why I wanted to have these micro conversations that are super important to me. And hopefully it seems like people like it, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm super stoked for you to start, start yours in 2020 for sure, man. Thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah. Well, go ahead and plug all your stuff um, where people can find you and sure. Um, So my, my latest endeavor has been my new brand school of gains. Um, it's more so the educational platform where um, all of my informative stuff is going to be on there. Um, the reason I shared that, a lot of it just has to do with growth, but um, my first brand, my coaching brand, Competitive Breed, um, A, is a little bit intimidating to some that aren't competitors and aren't athletes. And um, I think School Again just has a much wider reach because I'm a teacher, I'm a competitor, so it's like about education more so. Um, and there's more lifestyle coaching offered there where I have like an RD on staff and I have two assistant coaches. Um, so that's more for lifestyle coaching. And then I competitive breed is like still what oversees it all. And that's for my, my athletes, so to speak, and where I coach at. So check out school of gains. It's with a Z. All right. School of gains with a Z. So it's a cool, it's a cool school. It's cool. It's anabolic. Um, and then, yeah, competitorbreed.com, schoolofgames.com. Instagram is at Christopher uh, Barricat. And that's really it, man. Appreciate you, man. I appreciate you sharing. We, we got free downloads on there too. So um, you guys can download like free workouts, get like snippets of um, the training ebooks and also a snippet of the ultimate guide to body recomposition that uh, Jeff and I wrote together, uh, all basically all nutrition based. So you can, download chapters one and three for free just to like get a taste of it and then 
see if you want the whole thing after. Yeah. And body recomp book is very good, uh, which Thank I shared you. on my social and yeah, I appreciate uh, that. Yeah. It was very well, very well written. And I know I said that through, through private channels, but I won't publicly say like, it's very well written. The information's really good and it's easy to digest, which coming from looking at literature and reading research and you contributing to it, it's something that digestible isn't always the case. Um, it's commonly in a format that's pretty undigestible, to be honest, especially by the untrained eye. And so the book is, is very good. And I'll, I'll link the free downloads directly to the show notes. So just Thanks, whatever link you guys are going to press in the show notes, that's going to take you to the free downloads um, section. So that'll be good. Uh, but thank you again, man. Thank you for sharing. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it.